because the topic are in, somehow intertwined. So I'm very, very grateful to God. And I'm also sure that anyone that I could not uh, do justice to will have other mighty men of God who will be able to do justice Amen. to it in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've been asked to speak on the altar and the fire. The altar and the fire. The altar and the fire. The topic in itself may look a little bit daunting for some of us. What is the altar? What is the fire? I like also take a text of scriptures from the book of 1 Kings and chapter 18. And I'm going to use the story of Elijah establishing and building an altar and calling down fire as a pretext to everything that I'm going to be speaking on this morning. And I trust God that at the end of the day, the Lord will speak to us Amen. in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So two scriptures I'm going to read. I'm going to read a set of scriptures from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18, reading from verse 30, 30. And I'm going to run it through to 38. And then I'll read the last scripture, which will be Leviticus, chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. So if you have your Bibles, you know, this day and age, we don't carry the hard copy. Many of us carry the, the phone copies. But please make sure you're not on Instagram. Or make sure you're not on Facebook. You know, I was preaching once in a service and... Let me not go there. <laughs> but just, just be here. Just be here. Just be here. Just be here. The Bible says that it came to pass. As he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong scripture. Sorry. First Kings. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar. I'd like you to take, take note of that word because we're going to speak more on it. Of the law that was broken down, verse 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. He did not just do it anyhow. He took 12 stones according to the number of the house of Jacob. Unto whom the Lord, the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. 32. And with the stones he built an altar. An altar again comes in there. In the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar. As great as would contain two measures of what? Of seed. 33. And he put the wood in order. It was not out of order. He put the wood in order. He cut the bullocks, in other words, the bulls, the animals, into pieces and laid him and laid it on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the bond sacrifice and on the wood. 34. And he said, do it a second time. 
And they did it a second time. Just in case people were not going to be sure of what is going to happen. They said, do it again a third time. And they did it again a third time, 34, 35. And the waters ran around about the altar and filled the trench. And they filled the trench also with water, 36. And it came to pass at the time of the evening sacrifice, some scripture says, that Elijah the prophet came there and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. He's not praying. That the people may know that thou art the Lord God that had done or had turned and that had and that and that thou hast turned their heart back again. I actually like the King James, New King James Version. Because sometimes the D's and the Dows are just cracking. And Joe, even though a number of people prefer the old King James. But can you please help us switch it a little bit to the New King James if you have it? Hear me, O oh Lord, hear me. That these people may know that you are the Lord. God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. The last verse. Now when all the people saw it, and this must be the end of every fire, that must come upon anyone. And when the people saw it, they fell to their face and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We'll take one more scriptures and then we'll go. Leviticus chapter 6, 12 to 13. Levit Leviticus chapter 6, 12 to 13. And the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. The word order comes in again. And shall burn on it for, on it the fat of the priest offerings, verse 13. A fire shall always be burning on your altar. A fire must always be burning on your altar. It must never go out. Ask somebody, is your fire out? Ask them again. Make sure your fire is not out. The question this morning, friends, is that what is an altar? What is an altar? So that we can put it in proper perspective and context and be able to help us get to where God will have us get to this morning. What is an altar? There, are, there could be different dimensions, descriptions, and interpretations of what an altar could be. But, but for the sake of what we have to share this morning, an altar could be said to be a place of an encounter. When you encounter God, the scripture makes us to understand in Genesis chapter 35, Genesis 35, that when Jacob encountered God, 
Even though he was not going to stay there to worship God continually, the scripture says he built an altar as a place of an encounter with God. He had a revelation with God at that place and he built an altar there. If for some, an altar could be said to be a place of covenant. But what I'm going to be dwelling much more this morning is that an altar could be said to be a place of worship. A place of worship. And most times when you look through scriptures, you realize over and over and over and over again that an altar is symbolic to the place of worship. For instance, we have this altar here. And because this is a place of worship, sometimes you see people come to the altar to talk to God specially. Because it could be a place of an encounter. So it's a place of worship. And if you look at scriptures, the scriptures tell us that in Genesis chapter 8 verse 20, when Noah came out of the ark with the animals, and he realized the magnificence and the greatness of God, the scripture says he did what? He built an altar. He took some animals and placed them as a sacrifice. And he worshipped the Lord. So it's a place of worship. Abraham, the scripture tells us in the book of Genesis 7 and verse 8, that, that when Abraham dis- re- re- realized the greatness of God, everywhere he moved, as cities to city he met, went, the scripture says he built an altar. Why? As a place of worship. And you look at verse 8, the scripture says, And Abraham built an altar and began to call upon the name of the Lord. That there are different types of altars. Time is not going to permit us to go into that. But there could be a personal altar. Your personal altar. Your personal act of worship to God. There could be family altars. So, for instance, in the mornings, you have a set place as a family where you go to do your worship. You gather the family together and you just do some kind of worship as an altar of worship unto God. Or there could be corporates like we have in here this morning. A corporate act of worship unto God. And on and on. But let me take it a little bit deeper. Altars are not always only physical. Because most times we can think that an altar could be a physical, a physical point of encounter with God. Or a place of worship as it were. But the Bible makes us to understand that altars transcend, goes beyond a physical act of worship. Or a physical place. When Jesus Christ met a woman at the well, the scripture tells us in the book of John chapter 4, he says the hour is coming, verse 23, John chapter 4, verse 23, he says the hour is coming and now is when the true wish worshippers of God will not look for a specific altar in Paris or a specific altar in Richmond Hill or in Markham. But the true worshippers of God, we do what? We worship God in the spirit and in the truth. So in other words, we can say that an altar could be a place of worship that starts from the heart. Every worship without the heart is a dead worship. It doesn't matter whether you are coming religiously or you are coming beautifully or you are coming wonderfully to the altar in any place of worship uh, in whatever local church you attend and you are coming because the place is wonderfully and fearfully made because you feel the presence of God is there. But if your heart is not right, that worship is dead. 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 So the altar, therefore, in this context... Could be said to be your heart. 
could be said to your heart to be your heart. And friends, the significance of the altar of your heart is that everything about fire coming down will depend on your heart condition. It will depend on the altar. It will depend on the heart condition. The question is, is let's, so let's begin to put it together. We say the altar and the fire. The question is, what is the fire? What is the fire? There are many instances in scriptures where God appeared as fire. He appeared unto Moses as a burning bush. That was fire. That was fire. He appeared in this context of scripture that we read as fire to consume the sacrifice. He appeared to Israel as a pillar of fire by night. He led them through all the way in the book of Exodus chapter 13 and verse 21. When God was to establish the new church era, when the Holy Spirit was to be released upon the face of the earth, the Bible says when the fire came or when the Holy Spirit came, it came as what? It came as fire. The scripture says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 3, it came as a cloven tongue of fire. In other words, we can say, therefore, that fire is what? Fire is the presence of God. It's the presence of God. So when we put it together, you could therefore say, when you say the altar and the fire, you are saying the worship and the presence. The worship and the presence. The worship and the presence. And friends, listen and listen closely. Building an altar does not guarantee the presence of God. Building an altar does not guarantee that fire will fall. We see what happened. In fact, time did not permit us to back up a little bit on the context of the story of the text we read. Before then, they had built an altar, the prophets of Baal, and they had done all sorts in that altar. But there was no fire. There was no fire. That means that you are in, that you are in church. Does not mean the fire will fall. It doesn't mean so. It does not mean so. It doesn't. It doesn't. That also means by the extension that some of our religious acts of worship does not mean the fire is there. I, I recall in the text of scripture, the Bible says that God was anointed with the children of Israel and God said to them, please go Moses, you go. And I'm going to stay back a little bit because I, I, I see something about you and the group that you are leading that's something different. And Moses said, if you're not going to go with us, count me out. Every true child of God must desire the presence of God. There must be fire on your altar. The altar of your worship. The altar of your heart. There must be fire. Because if there is no fire, it is a meaningless, wasted effort of life and Christianity. In fact, the truth is, there is no difference between religion without fire. What makes the difference in religion, what makes the difference whether you are a church goer or a true child of God, is the fire you carry. If you carry no fire, then there's nothing, nothing. You're as good as an atheist out there who is just out there taking a stroll and believes that there's no God. You're as good as anyone out there who's serving other faith and proclaiming something else. What makes the difference is the fire you carry, the presence of God. And, and friends, there are things that attract the fire of God. I quickly talk on two or three things that attract the fire of God and then we go to some other sections and I wrap up at that point. There are things that attract fire. There are things that attract fire. 
we, we see from the text of scripture that the Bible says that when they had, the rest of the people had finished doing all the jamborees, shouting and calling on the types of different gods that they had, when Elijah was going to set the order for the attraction of fire, he did what the scripture says, he repaired the altar. He repaired the altar. First King chapter 18 and verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was broken down. Listen, friends, fire cannot fall until your altars are repaired. They can't fall. The presence of God cannot come until it's from a place of a repaired altar. So Elijah began to set the altars in place that have been scattered and messed up. And the reason why a number of lives are not as experiencing the presence of God as they ought is because there are broken walls. There are broken walls. There are broken walls. The walls of our worship is broken by sin. The Bible says that God has a purer eye than to behold iniquity. So every time for some people, as they bring an art of worship from their heart unto God, God is saying, mm, these things, these things. Have you been in a situation before when somebody served you a plate of dish? Wonderful delicacy. I don't know what kind of dishes we eat, but there was a day, you know, um, Pastor... Um, now let me talk about it. There was a day Pastor Faith took, took me to, to Pickle Barrel. That was the fourth time. First time I went to that place. I never heard of anything Pickle Barrel before. And I was confused about what menu to take. And a couple of us were there. And she said, ah, Can you order tilapia with creamy lobster? And I said, hi. I don't know what is the creamy in the lobster. <laughs> but I went with the faith of Pastor Faith to do what? To accept that offer. And I, yours truly, I enjoyed the delicacy when it came. But take for instance, when that plate of delicacy came and there was some poo-poo by the side. For those who don't understand poo-poo. Maybe feces by the side. Or a dead fly by the side. Or cockroach by the side. Or just, just, just some fly by the side. How many of you will eat it? Some of you Canadians will say, Ew. <laughs> it's a put off. It's a put off. And most times, what we serve God in the presence of our act of our worship is that many of us come as filthy as we are and we're serving God in delicacy that is not acceptable. Listen and listen closely. Sin is a delicacy. It's sin in the life of anyone. We always abhor God. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach. Listen and listen closely. There's no way in the whole wide world you can expect to flourish in sin. So Elijah began to do what repair the altar. He fixed the broken altars. For some of us, what is broken in our altar is not sin. For some of us, what is broken in our altar is pride. 
Oh, we will come to church. What is, what is, what is, what is that pastor going to even say? I think I know the scriptures better than him. I, I did some theology in, when I was in you know, um, 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 college. And then he just quoted that scripture wrongly. He just quoted that scripture wrongly. Uh, look at the text. He missed the text. And he missed, he missed, he missed the principles. He, missed, he just missed it. He just mixed it. He just mixed it. He just mixed it. He just mixed it. Pride. One of the greatest dangers of worship is, 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 is religious pride. There are too many religious proud people worshiping God, expecting God to bring fire down. God can teach. God can use any individual to minister and to preach Rosa. If God can use a donkey to speak to Balaam, who says that God cannot use anyone to speak to you? And listen and listen closely. It's not about the text of the scripture. The Bible says, my, the words that I speak to you, they are spirits and they are lies. Anytime you listen to the words that are context of scriptures, without a life of it, it's dead. Too many people are putting texts of theology and all that stuff because you went to theological school and you can't listen to someone to teach you. A young man said to me once, I don't like women teaching me. Because the Bible says, it says, study to be quiet and learn at home. And I said, really? How come they were the devourers of this world who judged and led Israel? How come they were the mighty men and the mighty women of this world that God used? Spiritual pride can destroy our altar. And destroy our altar. Uh, time is not going to permit me this one because my time is almost gone, gone. But it's one of the other things that destroys altar, that makes it difficult, and that we must repair. It's what they call unforgiveness. It, it, it's so bad that Jesus Christ had to say to someone in the scriptures, he says, before you come to bring your heart of worship, and you recognize or realize that you have somebody, or you think that there's somebody that has an art against you, you think that he has something against you. He says, do what? Don't worship. Don't worship. Keep your offering. Go and be reconciled. And then come back and do what? And complete your worship. In other words, he's saying to you and I, hey, 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 if you have somebody that you have a beef about, or you know that somebody even have a beef about you, you may not even have a beef about the person. Put your... Worship aside. Why? It's a broken worship. It's a broken worship. It's a broken worship. First be reconciled with your brother. The, the most important thing, my friend, my sister, is that if you don't repair the altar, the fire won't fall. So you've got to repair the altar of unforgiveness. And forgive one another. The Bible says forgive so that you, I, your heavenly father can forgive you. What is the point bringing a worship to a God who has already marked you out that you have not forgiven somebody? I heard a story once of a lady who came on the prayer line at the altar. And as she came on the prayer line for several years, she's been believing God for a breakthrough in, this, in her life. And as she met the man of God at the altar to have the man of God pray for her, the man of God wanted to lay her hands on her. And God said to him, don't lay your hands 
Ask her, who has she not forgiven? To say, Madam, I don't know, I wanted to pray for you, but the Holy Spirit is asking me to ask you, who have you not forgiven? And the woman broke down in tears. Said, Pastor, you don't know what she did to me. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know. (laughs) You don't know, you don't know, Pastor, you don't know. I can never forgive her. Can never forgive. Can never forgive. It's just some, some of us, we carry religion and our minds and our hearts. And we carry unforgiveness also. And deep down in our hearts, we say, hey, I've forgiven. But if you are forgiven, can you restore that person to the state where he was originally or where she was originally? That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is restoring the person back to where he or she was at the beginning before things were broken. If you can't forgive, then your heavenly father, the scripture says, not me, will not be able to forgive. Fire won't fall. The second thing that we see that Elijah, because I move forward faster, the second thing that we see that Elijah did was the scripture says to us that Elijah began to set the wood and the things in order. In verse 33, he put the wood in order. He cut the animals and put them in order. He took 12 stones and put them in order. Listen and listen closely. There's got to be order and structure in your worship. Too many people are haphazard in their worship. Especially when it comes to personal worship, for instance, you wake up in the morning, oh, and you want to go into the sweet presence of God because you want to build an altar of worship unto him. And you say, oh, Lord, I just bless your name this morning. Thank you for waking me up. You are just so sweet, darling. Jesus, I just love you. And then suddenly something just... Just see Instagram, WhatsApp. These days, I think it's WhatsApp that is the greatest culprit. I don't know for many of us belong to the different groups in our WhatsApp groups old students, young students, grants. <laughs> and then say, Lord, Lord, please, Lord, please, just one moment. This is real urgent. This is real urgent, Lord. This is real urgent. You just quickly type and then you send that. Oh Lord, I just worship you for you are good. You do miracles so good. Ooh, what a great God you are. <laughs> Email pops in. Oh, this is pretty urgent. And at the end of the day, your worship becomes disjointed and out of order. Listen and listen closely. If your fire or fire must come or must fall, there must be order and structure both to your personal and corporate worship. There must be order. There must be order. Some of us are out of order when it comes to corporate worship. We will say to ourselves, oh, I cannot only worship God when it is convenient. Or when it is convenient. I'm not going to go to church today. I don't feel it. I don't feel it. You're out of order. That is not how God created it originally. The Bible says don't forsake the gathering together of God's people as the manner of some is. That means that it's a custom. The scripture says that Jesus went to the tabernacle as his custom was. As his order was. If you want the fire to come, you got to be what? In order. Put things in order. Put priorities in your life. 
There must be priorities in your life. The Bible tells me that the steps of a good man are what are ordered of the Lord. Therefore, for fire to come, there must be order in your steps. You must be able to hear the voice of the Spirit to say to you, dedicate this time for me. This is time for Bible study. This is a time for fellowship. This is a time for corporate worship. This is a time for work. Put order and structure into your life. The scripture says that Elijah put order, put things. The dimension, the other dimension of it is this. Many of us want to rush God for fire to come. Want to rush God. Why didn't Elijah just quickly go up there and say, oh God, fire fall. Want to rush God. But mind you, God is not in a hurry. It's not in a hurry. Never in a hurry. Never in a hurry. Never in a hurry. He told the disciples, go and wait for me. They waited 10 days before fire came. What were they doing? They were praying. He told God, told Moses, come over to the mountaintop. Moses did not know he was going to spend 40 days. God didn't tell him from the beginning, you're spending 40 days. Come and wait with me. And spend time. We've got to put our lives in order. Listening and listening closely. Set things right and fire will fall. Put the right order and fire will fall. Give attention to God and fire will fall. The third thing that we see that Elijah did. I think I'm going to be wrapping up somewhere around this area because of the sake of my time. Is that the Bible says in verse 33 of chapter 18. Cut the bulls. He cut the bulls in pieces. He laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water. Pour it on the burnt sacrifice. Every altar must have a sacrifice. Every altar must have a sacrifice. There is nothing of spiritual significance that does not come with a sacrifice. Your spirituality will always be measured by the size of your sacrifice. Check scriptures. Before fire fell for Abraham, he placed the sacrifice of his son on the altar. Place the sacrifice of his son on the altar. Before fire fell for Moses, he sacrificed the riches of Egypt and the pleasures thereof. So he encountered God in the burning bush. Before Jesus experienced the fire of God here on earth, he left the glory above. He left the glory above. He left the glory. Too many of us want to experience fire without sacrifice. Oh Lord, bless me, but no sacrifice. Lord, I need your presence, but no sacrifice. No sacrifice. What are you putting on the table for fire to come? The scripture says, I want this is one of the fundamentals of sacrifices. It says in Psalms 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of the Lord is a broken and a contrite heart. Therefore, the starting point for every true sacrifice has to be a broken heart. A broken heart. A broken heart. A heart that comes with humility. So, so the question, my friend, is what sacrifices are you putting on the table for your fire to come? For the presence of God to be revealed? 
What sacrifices are you putting on the table? Everyone, the scripture says from the days of John the Baptist up to now, the kingdom of God is suffering violence and the violent are placing sacrifices on the table to advance the presence of the kingdom of God. What sacrifices are you putting down? Or you are waiting for church and people to sacrifice for you? Lord bless me, but I don't want to bless. You know, not too long ago, there was this debate of should we tithe or should we not tithe? And uh, some people say, yes, what some of these people are saying on internet is right. It's right. It's right. And I asked one person, I said, if nobody decides to tithe, nobody decides to give an offering, nobody decides to pay one sacrifice, how will Christianity be what it is today? How will it be? People who make those debates are people who don't know God. Somebody left glory above. We're celebrating Easter. Somebody left glory above. He forsook everything. He came here. I've said this times again, if I were God and I was going to manifest, you know, sonship to redeem man, I won't come as a pauper. I won't come. I won't. I won't. Hi. I won't. I will come as royalty. With, with, some, with, some, with some dazzling things happening. And they will know that look from beginning, this is, this is the son of God. This is the son of God. This is the son of God. So there will be no mistake at all as to my true identity. There won't be any mistake. Not only will I do that, ah, I will carry the air all around. Ah, somebody try nonsense. Psh. But he left everything. He sacrificed everything. The Bible says even though he was God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He dropped everything. Why? Sacrifice. 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 And not only did he do that, the scripture says he went through a, a painful public death. Painful, a shameful death. As he was going, they were saying, oh, I thought you said you were son of God. Come down. See yourself. I've, I've said this you know, so, many, so many times in a couple of places who are ministers as well in church. And I said, look, if, if I was Jesus, because I want to show them after they have nailed me, I will jump down from the cross to make them know that look, I'm God. And, I, and then I'll show them, I'll just show them. After I finish showing them, I'll jump up again. <laughs> but do you know, do you know that he could have decided to wipe out everybody? Do you know that he could have said to the dust, become humans and praise me? Do you know he could have turned trees to praise him? Yet he did not go through that. And he says, except a corn of wheat dies, he abides alone. Until you die, friend, you can't abide. You can't amount to much. You got to die to serve and bring a sacrifice to the table. Bring a sacrifice to the table. In North America, they beg people for too many things. Come to church, please now. Oh, I'll come and carry you, please, now. And you will be making a call. 
what they will say, they will be, you'll be making, uh, for those who don't understand what Akko is, you'll be posing. Say, no, I don't think I can come. Oh, Pastor, I think I just walked a little bit late yesterday. I think I need to rest a little bit. I'll come when it is convenient for me. Christianity is not a, it's a, a fate of convenience. It's a fate of people who know where they're going, who know the sacrifices they were paid. And if you know the sacrifices, pay us! Pay us! Pay us! You're going to pay us! You're going to pay us. If you pay this, you pay us. The Bible says he set us an example to follow in his steps. That is why we say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. If Christ lives in you, you're going to pay your price. Tell somebody, pay your price. Tell someone else, pay your price. I conclude with this. Every fire that must fall must be backed up with effectual fervent prayer. Amen. Effectual fervent prayer. Effectual fervent prayer. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 16, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. And prayed. And he began to pray. And began to pray. And began to pray. Friends, you can attract through fire without prayer. You can't. And your bonfire can also burn consistently and continuously without prayer. The Bible says Jesus Christ taught them a parable that man ought to pray. Somebody once told me that because Jesus Christ said men ought to pray, that means the women are out, out of the equation. And I said, okay, if you're reading King James, read NIV, where it says, we ought to pray than to faint. We ought to pray. You know that some people believe that prayer is for some people. For some prayer warriors like Pastor Pat. <laughs> and not for some of us. <laughs> so we contracted the prayer. And contracted the prayer, national prayer coordinator. <laughs> Pastor, please pray for me. Pastor, please pray for me. He says, everyone ought to pray. The Bible speaks of Jesus, who was son of God himself. Every now and then, he woke up very early in the morning to do what? To pray. Why? That is the source of fire. That is the source. We talk so much about prayer, but how many people really pray? So I don't want to bore you because if I ask you now what is prayer, you tell me, oh, it is the communication between man and God. But do we really pray? Jesus Christ had 12 disciples. He took three of them to pray with him. And before you knew what was happening, three of them slipped off like some of us. The day I knew that prayer is a dangerous force was one of the days I made up my mind. I said, nothing is going to stop me today from praying. And, and I got up and I said, I'm going to pray. And, and then after some while, I got tired. And I said, let me kneel down. I knelt down. <laughs> me that was active a while ago. Suddenly, I started saying, Father, Father, 
Father. I jumped up. I said, Kai, no. The kingdom of God suffered violence. I got to pray. And I got up. And I said, that person. After a paste a while, I said, he That's when I realized that you can be standing and sleeping. I have never seen that you can stand and sleep. How can you stand and sleep if the devil does not know the potentials and the power in the place of prayer? That is why he makes you and I weak. He makes us powerless when it comes to prayer. But the scripture makes me understand that is the source of your power. That's the source of your energy. If you want fire to fall, you've got to do what? Bend your knees and pray. If you're bending your knees and sleep is coming, jump up to your feet and do what? And walk. 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 I believe that the reason why one of, one of the persons that I envy most is our general overseer. Despite grace upon his life, the prayer habit of that man is something else. But he does not need them to pray. He takes a walk. So even if he's tired, I lie. I'm going on. Why? Because there are certain things that want to quench your fire. The devil wants to quench your fire. And he will introduce a tablet called sleeplomania. He just gives you one injection. And then you'll be sleeping like somebody that was beat by a fly. <laughs> Prayer is so effective, friends. And if you and I must be all that God has ordained for us to become, if there must be fire constantly in our altar, you must be what? You must be ready to pray. Tell somebody, be ready to pray. Don't just talk about it, but pray. We can pray about everything. But see, what, what challenges me most in our day and in our time is that our prayers are too selfish. Lord, please bless me. I like the way you blessed Sister B. Please bless me like that. Lord, please enlarge me. Lord, please promote me. Lord, please, I need a new job. Lord, you see, the wagon that I drove last, last year has got to be changed. People are stepping up, Lord. I need a bigger house. Everything is all centered about me. Meanwhile, the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, it says, I sought for a man. I sought for a man. Every time through fire we come, it will come because people are standing in their knees for someone else. God is looking for you and I to stand in the gap for someone else in spite of your pain, in spite of your challenges, in spite of your need to do what? To come to the altar and say to God, Lord, Bless Sister S. Lord, turn around, my brother. Lord, turn around. The Bible says, I sought for a man that will stand in the gap. First, listen and listen closely. Your fire will fall if you can stand in the gap for your brother. If you can stand in the gap for your sister. If you can stand in the gap and say to God, give me Barry or die. May your fire fall. May your fire fall. May your fire fall. Stand to your feet wherever you are.